1 Corinthians chapter 1 from verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? <clears throat> Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brothers, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base or low things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Let's pray once again. Once more, Heavenly Father, we come to you bow before you seek mercy from you your heart we know is open toward us you are ready to receive our cry your hand O oh god is open toward us you are ready to pour out your goodness lord we we plead with you tonight that your wisdom and your power may be seen and known in every heart in this place that by your spirit we might reckon afresh with the glories of salvation in Christ, that our hearts may be lifted up and that we would glory not in the flesh, but in the Lord alone and in the cross of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. I wonder if you have any particular phrases in the Bible that you find particularly precious. It may be that there is some verse, uh, maybe some repeated words, uh, some larger portion of God's word that to you is very sweet. And I would be far from suggesting that there is any one particular phrase that ought to trump all the others. But there is a phrase here which the Apostle Paul loves to use, which I would contend is one of the more precious phrases that we find in our Bibles. It is the language, in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Paul loves to use this language, to be in Christ. To be in Christ is to have life. It is to have peace. It is to have 
joy. Every good thing is in Christ Jesus. And the language here then of us being in Christ Jesus is the language of union with the Lord Jesus by faith. It is not just that there are good things in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is that we ourselves are in him and in him then we find all that goodness that the Lord God has stored up for us. A union that is vital. It is living a union that is fruitful, that is productive. And so the great question that we need to always be asking, the first question of which we need to take account is this. Are you tonight in Christ Jesus? Have you trusted him? Have you cast yourself upon him? Do you own yourself to be a sinner in need of a saviour? A great sinner who needs a great saviour and who has found such a one worthy of your trust, worthy of your deepest confidence, your highest affection. And that you can say this night, I am his and he is mine. I am in him and all then that he is in himself and in relation to God and by gift for his people. All that is in him is mine also to be in Christ then is to be in the sweetest the richest the surest and the most blessed relationship it does not mean that I just know about him there are many people who know something and some who know much about Jesus Christ but you can know about the Lord Jesus and not be in him it is more than having heard of him some have some vague recollections, perhaps some uh, echoes of, of teaching or instruction, or a few ideas that have been uh, distributed, often falsely, in, in various settings. It's not even enough to be quite near him, to be able to say, well, I, I'm in a church where the word of God is preached. I, I know this good news. We hear about the Lord Jesus all the time. No, it is to be joined to him. It is to belong to him and when that is the case when a man or a woman a boy or a girl can say that I with all of God's people when I am in Christ Jesus then my friends we are blessed blessed beyond calculation blessed beyond imagination treasures beyond our wildest dreams of him says the apostle you are in Christ Jesus. And here are the treasures who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. What then, firstly, has Christ become for us? What are these treasures that are in Christ there are four elements here. The first is the overarching one, that Christ Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. The next two flow from it and are connected to it, and righteousness and sanctification. And the third and last in that section is conclusive. So you've got wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. What then are these particular blessings? What is it that Christ has become? He has become wisdom 
from God. Now you notice how even in the brief passage that we read at the beginning of the sermon, that question of wisdom has come up again and again in the apostles' thinking. Where is the wise, he asked in verse 20? Where is the scribe, the learned man? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God... It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So the wisdom that we have here is wisdom from God. Because the wisdom of the world could never bring us to God. If you are to know God, God himself must speak. God himself must make himself known. And what you have here then is a wisdom that is not of this world. It is God showing himself, God manifesting himself in the person of his son. Divine truth revealed in Jesus Christ to be embraced by sinners like us. Where do you see God's goodwill toward mankind? You see it in Christ Jesus. That was the declaration of the angels on the hills. Go and see the Saviour. There is born a Saviour. God's goodwill now revealed to us. You can see it. You can touch it. You can taste it. You can hear it. It's the same sort of language that the Apostle John used at the far end of that experience. We have seen him. Our eyes have been laid upon him. Our hands have handled him. We've touched him. We've heard him. That life that was in the Father has been manifested to us. How are you going to find God? Many have tried and many have failed because they've been trying in accordance with their own wisdom. How will you know the infinite, eternal and unchangeable God, you who are finite, you who are changing, you who are mortal, you who are bounded and limited, how will you come to enjoy God? How will you be able to draw near to him and understanding something of the majesty and the beauty and the glory that belongs to him to enter into fellowship with him? How are you going to live life for him? Where will you find your way? God must come down to us. We cannot climb up to him. It is in Christ that we have wisdom from God. He has become wisdom from God for us. And in that revelation of divine wisdom, we see also this righteousness and this sanctification and this redemption. Christ Jesus has become for us righteousness. The perfection of all obedience is in him. He has become righteousness and he has become righteousness for us. The perfection of holiness. And there's a depth here to this language of imputation. And it's right that we understand imputation as something being put to our account. But this is not a, a kind of a, an ugly formal transaction. It is Jesus Christ himself who has become for us righteousness. I am in him. And all God's dealings with me as a believer are in and through the Jesus who is himself perfectly righteous. 
It is not just that Christ's righteousness is reckoned to us. I am reckoned to be his and he is reckoned to be mine. He has become for his people righteousness. He is the one in whom we can be considered righteous. And that is why you can be justified. That is why God can declare you to be righteous in his sight. Because Jesus Christ has become for us righteousness. And we, if believers, are in him. And sanctification. Here's another aspect of this divine wisdom made known. You see, in Jesus Christ, the old man isn't repaired. He's not buffed up. He's not just sorted out a little bit. It's not as if the Lord Christ takes a, an old banger and tries to do just a few bits and pieces of it and get it up and running again. In coming to Christ, the old man is crucified. Dead and gone. The old nature. There is now a new man who lives to God. And that new man belongs to God in a distinct and particular way. He or she is set apart to the Lord, no longer given over to darkness, no longer in the grip of sin, but now sanctified, belonging entirely to the Lord and therefore beginning to live for him. There's been a whole shift in our sphere of belonging in Christ Jesus. He has become our sanctification or sanctification for us. When you belong to him, you now belong to the God of heaven. And that is where all your appetites and desires for true holiness come from. A Christian is not trying to be holy in order to win God's favour. A Christian seeks holiness because God has favoured us. We have life in Christ. We love him. He's put us with God. He's set us apart for God. And all your reasons to pursue that which pleases God come from your union with Jesus Christ. The true believer doesn't need to be chased into holiness with the whip and the club. The believer loves to do the will of God. It's not always easy. Discerning it can be difficult. Following it can be hard. There are battles to be fought, but the appetite is there. Christ has become for us sanctification and redemption. And this is the language of deliverance. This is the, uh, probably where it comes in this sequence. Wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. There's meant to be something here that is final and conclusive. Not just comprehensive, as if redemption here is being used to encompass all of our experience, but something that is definite and at the end. It seems to suggest then, some, uh, in some way, the being set free from sin and death and hell and the full and final experience of that. It's talking about the glory, perhaps, then, that lies ahead for us. It's present freedom, yes, We've been liberated. We've been set free from the law of sin and death. But it's also declaring a future glory. The redemption of the sons of God. The beauty that lies ahead of us. The rising again from the grave to be with Jesus Christ forever and forever. And that's all been secured by him who loved us and gave himself for us. 
And that's what Christ became for his people. For every one of his people, without exception. Everything that is here is ours. And it is all found entirely, but it is found only in Christ Jesus. You will never find wisdom from God outside of Christ for salvation. You may be able to see something of the glory of God in creation. You may be able to discern some portion of his wisdom, his power, his Godhead. But you cannot know God. For he has made himself known for salvation in Christ. You will not find righteousness apart from Jesus Christ, the righteous one, spotless, perfect, sanctification. Your relationship to God hangs upon your relationship to Christ Jesus and redemption. All that hope, the certainty now of being set free from the bondage of sin and the expectation that one day this whole humanity of ours will be entirely renewed, that we might dwell in that new heavens and that new earth and it be our proper place for righteousness dwells there. There is nothing that we need which he does not supply. But why did we need it? I mean, we can talk about it. This Jesus, in him, he has become for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Why did we need this wisdom from God? Why do we need righteousness and sanctification and redemption? And the answer is that we lacked all of these things in ourselves. Paul has spoken already. You see your calling, brothers. Not many wise according to the flesh. Not many mighty. Not many noble are called. Even in the world's estimation, there's nothing in us to commend us to anyone, let alone to God. And God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame that which the world esteems wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which in the eyes of the world are mighty and those base, those low things, the things which are despicable and negligible. God will use that to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. Why do I need wisdom from God? It is because I am by nature ignorant. I cannot know God until God makes himself known. Why do I need righteousness? Because I am by nature guilty. I am under the judgment of the holy God who sees my sins through and through. Why do I need sanctification? Because I'm polluted. Because by nature I've gone after the things of this world and I've lived, I've lived as I pleased and I've been like a sheep who has gone astray. Why do I need redemption? It's because I am enslaved. I'm in bondage to sin. I'm under the dominion of the evil one. So that there is never anything at any time where any Christian can point at themselves, ah, oh, that, that was why God chose me. That, that's why I'm one of his people. There's my wisdom. There's my righteousness. There's my sanctification. There's my worthiness for redemption. There's my contribution to salvation. No true believer 
would ever say, God chose me because of me. Look at me. Why wouldn't he? No, look at you. Why would he? You have nothing in the flesh in which to boast. No flesh can glory in his presence. You'll never be able to boast in yourself. I have and you have no claim upon God, upon Christ, on account of my own merit and my own virtue. You will never come to God and say, well, because I'm this, you give me that. Because I've done enough, you give me this favour. Because I've earned this blessing, you are obliged to give it. So how did we get this? I mean, it's wonderful, isn't it, to speak of Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. But when I ask then, why are these things necessary? And I see the depths of my sin and the degree of my need. I have to ask, if it's not because of me, on what basis then do I come into possession of these things? How does a sinner like me or you get into Jesus Christ and obtain these mercies? See the language. But of him, of him, of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And so these things come into our possession. Christ becomes ours and we become his, first of all, by God's appointment. It is because God has done it of him. Yes, you do not glory in your own flesh. You cannot boast in the presence of God. But it's wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. It is the gracious purpose of God Most High in sending his son into the world to save the people upon whom he had set his love. You always have to trace it back to God. You trace it back to yourself and you just find an empty hole. You've got to go back and back and up and up. And beyond yourself, you find there in the eternal purposes of the God who saves in his sovereign mercy, that of him and not of yourselves, you are in Christ Jesus. And then it is by Christ's engagement Of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The focus is on Christ and the primary focus is on the cross of Jesus Christ. What is that foolishness of the message that was preached to save those who believe? It was Christ crucified that's the wisdom of god that's where you see god's majesty that's where you see god's might it's where you see god's mercy it's where his holiness is lifted up it's where his justice is demonstrated it's where his mercy is poured out it's where his goodness is revealed it's where his wisdom is displayed it is where his strong right arm is made known it is where all his heart is revealed it is the place where christ preaches the character the glory the goodness the saving work of his beloved father that in his coming god is working 
that Christ should become for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. This sinless one, this spotless Lamb of God, the eternal Son who has taken flesh and blood, he came into this world. He became a man for us. He lived a perfect life for us. He laid down that life on the cross. There is his righteousness. And ours. There's his sanctification. And ours. There is the redemption that he has accomplished for us, setting us free from all that to which we were in bondage. Do you see the wisdom of God in a dying Jesus? Do you see in the man lifted up on the cross the divine plan and purpose, not falling apart before your very eyes, but coming to its glorious pinnacle? This is the divine accomplishment. This is the point at which everything falls into place. This is where God saves sinners and declares it to us by raising that same son from the dead on the third day. And it becomes ours in our own experience of him, you are in Christ Jesus. God appointed it. Christ undertook it. We enter in by faith. Now someone might say, aha, there's my contribution. I believed, and you did. And it is your faith, and you must put it in Jesus Christ. But where did you get that faith of yours? You see, this is not of any works, not of works, rather, lest any man should boast. The very faith which you have put in Jesus Christ is itself the gift of God to you. And you have come with a heart that is now made new by the Holy Spirit. He has been at work in your soul. And you have begun to understand your guilt, your pollution, your emptiness, your wretchedness, your bondage, your foolishness, your ignorance. You began to cry out, Oh God, have mercy upon me. And God, by his Spirit, showed you the wisdom that he had made known. And righteousness sanctification and redemption and your starved soul began to hunger and thirst after righteousness and your polluted soul began to long for cleanliness and your tortured soul began to long to be free and to walk in the ways of righteousness and to have hope and a prospect before you and you found that as the command of God came, reach out. So there was strength from heaven. And your crippled hand reached out. And as it reached, it was made strong. And the faith which the Holy Spirit was working in your soul operated toward Christ Jesus. And you looked upon him and you found in him your soul's delight the chief among 10,000, the altogether lovely one, the pearl of greatest price, the treasure that perhaps you didn't even know until then you'd been looking for. You stumbled across it as if it were in a field. It was the pearl, and you'd begun to long for it and to have a desire for it. And Christ 
became yours and you became his. And of him, you can now say that you are in Christ Jesus and that he has become for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. This is God's gift. This is Christ's purchase. And this is our sweet experience. And every part of that then points back to God as the giver. All of it shows Christ as the gift freely given. And all of it declares that you and I are the empty-handed sinners who come to receive what God alone can provide and what God in his goodness has provided for us. Do you have him? Have you got Christ? It's not just a phrase. It is life everlasting. It's not just a set of words. It is peace with God. It's not just an idea. It is joy in the depths of the soul. It's not just a mantra. It is to know God and to have that everlasting life which is in him. And it is in Christ Jesus who has become for sinners like you and me the wisdom of God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. How then should we respond to this? That's the last question I want to try and scratch at an answer this evening. If of God you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, the first element of our response must be humble acknowledgement. Where do you find Paul or any of the other apostles ever doing anything but wondering and marvelling that God should have loved sinners like them? These are the men to whom we might look up. These are the people who seem to be at the top of the spiritual tree. They've climbed the the greasy ladder of religion. Surely they've got something in which to boast. No, the man who writes these words is the man who declares himself to be the chief of sinners. He's not one of the wise, not one of the mighty, not one of the noble. He's the off-scourings of the earth. He's a wicked man. He's a blasphemer. He's an insolent man. He found mercy. God was gracious to him, a sinner. The Apostle John, who seemed always to have that sweet and close relationship to his Lord and Saviour, the one who leaned his head on the breast of Jesus Christ at the Last Supper. What does he say? Not, oh yeah, I I knew him a long time before anybody else. Yeah, we were buddies back on the day, in in the day, in the shores of Galilee. I've always been one of his crew. No, John says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Not upon you, but upon us, me and you, that we should be called children of God. Brothers and sisters, do you marvel at the fact that you are in Christ Jesus? 
That's stunning. When you consider what you are by nature, when you consider what you've been in your deeds and your words and your thought, and yet Christ has become for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. I've got nothing then in which to boast. I can't deny my need. I can't pretend that I am clean and wise and good and sorted out in myself. No, here I accept the verdict that I am a hell-deserving sinner and that if there is anything that I receive, anything with which I am blessed, any favour that I know, any hope that I have, if I have wisdom, then it is from God. If there is any righteousness, it is from Christ. If I am sanctified, it is because of him and all my redemption hangs upon him who gave his blood to save me from my sins. I confess my sin and my need. No flesh glories in his presence. And then there's wholehearted appreciation. It's not just where we've come from, it's where we've come to. Brothers and sisters, are we thankful people? I know there are things which grieve us. I know there are distresses which we undergo. There are things that we pray for week by week. There are battles that we face in this fallen world. There are difficulties that we have to overcome. There are so many things that may seem to be against us. But you are in Christ Jesus. And no one and nothing can take that away from you. No one can snatch you out of his hand. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. He and his Father are one. Do you ever stop and marvel at the plan of God? What is this? That the Lord of glory should stoop down and come for us. What is this? That the Son of God should take flesh and blood. What is this? That the Father should send his own beloved one into this world to take our humanity. What is this? That the spotless Lamb of God should come to the place of sacrifice. What is this? That the sinless one should take my sin to himself. What is this? That he who died in my place should rise again for my justification. What is this? That this person this Jesus this son in all his beauty in all his goodness and in all his kindness should become mine what is this grace that God has lavished upon us and it's not then that you say well nothing else is real no but if this is true and if this is real then whatever else may come to pass while I can say I am in Christ Jesus, then I have cause to rejoice in the God of my salvation. And I think, brothers and sisters, it is when we forget him, when we draw away from him, when we lose sight of him, that's when our complaints and our resentments and our antagonisms bubble up. But when I think of what I am in myself... And when I think, not so much of what I have become, but what he has become for us. Wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Oh, the wholehearted flow of my soul then ought to be. Look at what the Lord has done for us. 
And so the final outcome is heartfelt adoration. It's been written before by Jeremiah, and it's perfectly true, says the Apostle Paul. As it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. No flesh can glory in the presence of God. No Christian ever wants to be able to say, this was me, I did this. It is our joy. It is our delight. It is the highest height that we reach to ascribe glory to the God who has saved us of his own free and sovereign grace. Yes, we glory. Yes, we boast. Yes, we shout. Yes, we declare. Yes, we make known. Yes, we proclaim. But it is the great giver and his great gift in whom every good thing is found. See, it's not so much wisdom in which we glory. We're glad for it. Not the righteousness in which we glory, we're thankful for that. Not the sanctification in which we boast that we have received. Not even the redemption in which we boast, to which we look forward. But it is the Lord. The Lord of whom in Christ Jesus, who has become these things for us, we now stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. My friends... We should glory. Paul doesn't say let none of you glory. He says just glory in the right direction. Glory in the right place. Glory to the right person. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Not unto this wretched sinner. Not to this ignorant, this guilty, this polluted, this enslaved man or woman or boy or girl. But to God and to his Christ for he has put us in him who has become for us wisdom from heaven and righteousness and sanctification and redemption and so I ask again are you tonight in Christ Jesus not are you a religious person not are you a bible reader not do you go to church often enough Not do you know a bit more about Jesus Christ, but have you cast yourself upon him, body and soul, time and eternity, so that you are now by the gift of God in Christ Jesus. You're exercising that heaven-worked faith. The Holy Spirit has shown you something of Jesus Christ. You know that you are empty, that he is full. You are all need, and he is all provision. You are dead, and in him is life. You are lost, but he is able to find you and to keep you. This was written to the Corinthians, first of all. And they were a foul and wretched bunch. Even in terms of the thinking of their own society, they were particularly despicable. And Paul could say to them, this is what God has done for you. Whether you're a Corinthian or a Crawlian or anywhere elseian, the same God, the same Christ, the same offer, the same wisdom, the same righteousness and sanctification and redemption is held out tonight 
to sinners like us. If you are guilty, vile, wretched and enslaved, come tonight to Jesus Christ. Trust him, take him, cast yourself upon him and you will find all that you need from God in him for you now and forever. And if you have, then rejoice and glory in the Lord. That's what we'll do as we come to the Lord's table this evening. We'll be pointing away from self and up and out to Jesus Christ. Am I safe? Yes, because of him. Do I have peace? Yes, because of him. Do I have joy? Yes, it is in Jesus Christ. God has worked these things and we are glad for we are in him. And he, by God's appointment in his own undertaking, has become for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And we can glory in the Lord. Amen.